Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome back to Roadmap to Heaven. I'm Adam Wright. So very happy to be back with you on this Friday morning, November 11th. Out sick for the past few days, uh, starting to feel better. And I want to thank everybody who sent messages saying, hey, where are you at? Is everything okay? And everything is fine, and, and we are back. Let's begin our morning in prayer as we always do. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day for the intentions of your Sacred Heart in union with the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world, in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father. Amen. Eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord, and let perpetual light shine upon them. Through the mercy of God, may the souls of all the faithful departed rest in peace. Amen. We dedicate all of our thoughts, words, and actions to the greater glory of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Happy Veterans Day to all of our veterans listening this morning. We're grateful for your service. And happy Feast of St. Martin of Tours. It's one that has a particular meaning for me. One of the many parishes I worked at in uh, my time as a music director was under the patronage of St. Martin of Tours. And, you know, maybe maybe at the end of the show, if we have some time, we'll talk about a goose and St. Martin of Tours. But we've got some things to get to on the show today. We're going to be happy to be joined by Father Paul Kalal from the Oblates of the Virgin Mary over in, uh, well, for those of you listening at St. Mary's Parish in Alton, Illinois, you're familiar with the Oblates and you're familiar with Father. Uh, We also have joining us today Father Jeffrey Kirby. We're going to be talking with him all month about different feast days that fall in this month of November. We are going to go out of order and jump around, so do pardon us on that. And uh, finally, and actually firstly on the show, because we're going to lead off with that, uh, with this, Dan Applebaum is going to be with us. Maybe you have a deer hunter in your life and what do hunting and spirituality have to do with one another it's um, actually something that's gone hand in hand for much of civilization we're going to talk with dan about that so dan applebaum father paul Kalal, and father jeffrey kirby ahead on the show today plus the daily dose of encouragement but before we can get to any of that as we so often and always do let's go to mike roberts for a look at today's weather and our saint of the day Today is the Memorial of St. Martin, Bishop of Tours. Born in the 4th century in what is now Hungary, he was a veteran who, like his father, served in the Roman army. Before entering the military, when he was about 12, Martin was very interested in Christianity and even thought about becoming a hermit. But he was called to serve just three years later and at the age of 15 became a Roman soldier. By 335, Martin was an imperial guard. And while making rounds on horseback, came across a beggar who was suffering from the cold. Moved with pity, Martin cut his military cloak in half and covered the poor man. In a dream the following night, Jesus appeared to Martin, wearing the cloak and accompanied by angels. Jesus said to the angels, Behold, here is Martin, an unbaptized Roman soldier. He has clothed me. The following Easter, Martin was baptized and from that point on lived more like a hermit than a soldier. Finally, he asked his superiors to release him from duty, telling them, I have served you as a soldier. Now, let me serve Christ. 
Give my body to those who are going to fight, but I am now a soldier for Christ, and it is not lawful for me to fight. Ahead of an ensuing battle, Martin was charged with cowardice, but offered to go to the front with his fellow soldiers unarmed. His superiors agreed, but before the battle could begin, the enemy sued for peace, and Martin was released. He went to see Hillary, who had become Bishop of Portier, but had been exiled because of his stance against the Arians. When Hillary was finally restored, Martin went with him and established a monastery where he lived for 10 years while teaching and evangelizing the surrounding communities. In 371, he was made Bishop of Tours and lived in austerity while serving the poor and continuing to grow the Christian community there. And at the end of his life, Martin fell out of favor with the emperor because of his stance against the execution of heretics. While opposed to the heresies, Martin did not believe they should be executed. While on a trip to heal a local schism, Martin died at the age of 80. St. Martin of Tours, please pray for us. I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a blessed day. Saint of the Day can arrive each morning by subscribing on your favorite podcast player. Search Covenant Network to see all our podcasts. Prayer for the Gift of Prudence Jesus, artful master of parables, your prudence eluded the hypocrites. Your actions were known before creation, displaying all the wisdom of your prudence. Eternity must have attended to minutia. Being prudent in your best interest, you considered all potential consequences, securing the outcome of your earthly life. Grant me the prudence to always be cautious and sensitive to the basic needs of others. Jesus, you have shown great foresight. Prudence truly originates from your being. Amen. I remember one of the first years that I was a parish music director, there was a weekend in November where all of a sudden I said, what happened? Half the men of the parish are gone. Did something happen? Did they all get taken up by a UFO? And the wives looked at me and said, you're not a hunter, are you, Adam? It's deer season. The men are out doing the hunting right now, and uh, they'll be back late, late Sunday evening. And as the years have gone by, I've gone on to see that even some parishes schedule particularly late masses at the end of the weekend for the deer hunters that come back. And we are happy to have with us a... uh, a deer hunter and a hunter of many things, Dan Applebaum, who is a longtime listener here on Covenant Network. Dan, it's good to have you with us on Roadmap to Heaven today. Hey, thanks, Adam. I really appreciate you inviting me on. So let's just get to the basics of this. When we say you, you're a hunter, how long have you been hunting? I'm a late onset hunter is the best way I would describe that. I did not get into hunting. I did not own a gun until in my mid-40s. So I've been probably hunting about 15 years now. All right. And are we talking exclusively deer or what? what's game? I have now experienced deer, snow geese, Canadian geese, elk. What else have we done? Turkey, dove, pheasant. So I've experienced quite a few different ones. Once I broke into this world, I, uh, some doors were open for me and I was able to experience several of those other things. Well, I want to talk about two things today. The first thing I'd like to get in is something I've heard from a lot of the hunters I've known, that there is something incredibly spiritual, whether you're out in the duck blind or the deer stand or wherever it may be, about just being out there in the quiet, because you can't talk or you'll scare the deer away. I know that much. So you're out there by yourself sometimes, alone with your thoughts for extended periods of time. What's your experience been as a Catholic, as a spiritual man, spending all of that time out there? To me, it's a, it, it, you get a lot of time to be with God. You get a lot of time to reflect, a lot of time to think, 
without the distractions of the electronic media that we carry around our pockets. It just gives you a very unique, almost retreat-like opportunity to be alone and be quiet and gather your thoughts. And I also think it gives you an appreciation for nature that I don't think many of us stop and have time to experience or to reflect on as you're sitting in nature and see the animals and see the snowfall or, you know, be out in the rainstorm or whatever, you know, whether you're experiencing or uh, creatures are out there with you to, to see them in and, and God's uh, world that he's created around us, experience that live. To some people, it sounds crazy, but my kids will talk about the first time we sat through a snowstorm in the tree stand and they said that was so cool. Who in their right mind will sit out side for hours and watch it snow and watch the whole environment change in front of you. So those are some of the unique things we've gotten in the silence. And as I said, it, it gives you lots of time to be with God. We live in that society of instant gratification. And, you know, I've, I'm guilty of this walking out into nature and saying, okay, what, what's supposed to happen here? When's it going to happen? And, you know, it wasn't until that first rainfall and the country staying in the cottage, hearing the rain on the tin roof, and experiencing that peace or seeing the sunrise in the uh, plains of Kansas and the sunset in the mountains. It's just something incredible, but you have to be there and you have to be patient. You have to wait for the right moment. The other thing you mentioned, time out there with your sons, and I would imagine as well, again, no electronics, no things like that. It's some pretty good bonding time as well. Yeah, there's bonding time on the drive down. There's bonding time on the drive back. There's bonding time around the campfire. There's bonding time is they come back with excitement to tell you about what they experienced. One of my favorite stories I communicate is one day we were down at working out in the property and my youngest son, John, who's now 23, <laughs> he was much younger than he's maybe 10 or 11 at the time. And I said, John, how was your day? He said, it was really good, dad. I said, well, what'd you guys do? He said, well, Luke and I just talked. <laughs> and here, 11 year old boy, say that he just enjoyed talking with his 15-year-old brother kind of really put me aback and thought, man, that to think what a joy that was for him and what a definition of a good day that was, to not have all these other distractions and not be busy and just be with each other. Now, Dan, when I think of hunting, I often think of, you know, perhaps you walk in and you see the deer head mounted on the wall of the cabin or, you know, at the local butcher shop I go to, they're avid bass fishers and they've got some uh, bass that they've caught over the years displayed on the wall. But really going back to the beginning of creation and God saying, you know, have the earth and subdue it and, and care for the earth, this is an important thing. And it's something that I think we've forgotten about because for centuries, for millennia even, this is how food was brought to the table, or even before the invention of tables, it was brought to the mouths of those who needed to eat. And, you know, my kids are of that generation. I remember one told my grandma, or one told my mother at a certain point in time, we can order pizza, it's fine. You just pick up the phone and the man brings it to the door. You know, and that's how food got to the plate for them. But there's something really special about knowing this millennia-old tradition of going out, finding the animal, and bringing it to table. And I wonder what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, that's a, it, it, it's an interesting uh, question, Adam, because one of my favorite lines is, uh, if our ancestors weren't good hunters, we don't exist today. So all of our ancestors were good hunters. Our bodies were developed to be good hunters. 
from the way we stand and the way we're able to carry things. But the thing that's really gotten to me or that's struck with me, stuck with me is that I didn't understand the whole connections to food until I took the life of a beautiful animal. I watched the animal die. I processed that animal with my own hands, not something I had ever thought I would do and don't relish, but now I appreciate. And then to consume that piece of meat means so much more to me now. And a couple of points I'd make after that was, A, my boys now credit learning to hunt with A, their appreciation of meat, their refusal now to let meat go to waste because they now understand that an animal's life was taken so that we could have that meat. And then B, people actually say they would consume less meat after hunting because they get the process now. It's not waste half your steak or throw away some leftover sandwich meat or whatever. It's, oh my gosh, an animal died. One of God's creatures died to provide this food for me. Don't let it go to waste. It really hits home when you say, you sit down before a meal and say, thank you, dear God, for this food. Because there's a lot of connections that have been made in my brain after taking the life of an animal so that I can consume it. And it's really helped me to really appreciate the true nature of God's gift. And Adam, I'll go on to another side note here. The other thing it's helped me with is understanding the Eucharist. So as we know, the Eucharist prior to Christ, the sacrifice happened when the Jews took the unblemished lamb to the temple. That lamb was killed. That lamb was brought home and prepared and consumed for the Passover. Today's world, I know people are very attached to animals. My family's very attached to animals. They're beautiful. They're wonderful creatures, but they're also there to provide food for us, for our health and to experience that process. I now get a little bit more insight to what Christ is, how Christ is present in the Eucharist, that he is that lamb that was given up on the cross for us because of our sins so that we could consume it for the forgiveness of our sins. And I think there's a, a whole disconnect in today's society between death and what goes on every day. We tend to hide death, but as farmers are probably laughing at me or, or people with farms you know, that raise animals, they do this all the time. But a lot of us city folk don't get that that you're taking the lives of these animals and we took the life or we took the life of Christ because of our sins. We need to understand a, the suffering that went into that. I mean, if you watch an animal die that you've pulled the trigger on or shot the arrow or the bolt for, it changes you. They call it hunter's remorse. When you kill an animal and after it goes down, you feel bad. I said, if you don't feel bad, when you take the animal's life, you might be considered a psychopath or something because You've just taken the life of a beautiful animal. If, if people don't believe that hunters appreciate animals, they're completely wrong. It's just we get the whole cycle with where meat comes from and what it's for. And this whole sense of sacrifice that we see in the church during the Eucharist has gained more profound understanding for me going through that, the killing, the processing, and the consuming cycle that we 
take for granted. We think everything comes in cellophane from a store now, and it doesn't. It's really a beautiful example that you give us in your appreciation for the Eucharist, you know, understanding the value. And I love what you said about your sons, that not taking the meat for granted. They know what is involved. And so the meat that they use doesn't go to waste. Well, how often do we take the Lamb of God, as you said, that Paschal Lamb for granted? We just think of the Eucharist as, oh, I'll I'll go to Mass next week and I'll receive Holy Communion. You know, we don't think twice about it sometimes, and we really should. We should think about that sacrifice. And I'm edified to hear that your experience as a hunter has led you to this new appreciation. Sadly, we're out of time. I, I'd love to continue the conversation, but I want to thank you, uh, Dan Applebaum, for taking the time with us on Roadmap to Heaven today. We are going to take a break. Don't go anywhere. A prayer for greater love of Jesus. Oh, my Jesus, thou knowest well that I love thee, but I do not love thee enough. O grant that I may love thee more. O love that burnest ever and never failest, my God, thou who art charity itself, enkindle in my heart that divine fire which consumes the saints and transforms them into thee. Amen. May the sacred heart of Jesus be loved in every place. It's been a while since we've done a vocation spotlight here on the show, and I am happy to have with us by phone today Father Paul Callal, an Oblate of the Virgin Mary. If you live in the Alton, Illinois area, you may know the Oblates from St. Mary's Parish, or if you've ever read any of the books on Ignatian Discernment by Father Timothy Gallagher, he's also an Oblate of the Virgin Mary, whose name's been coming up quite a bit lately. But Father Paul, we are so happy to have you with us today. Yeah, glad to be here with you. Thanks for having me. Now, I, I'm going to admit here, my dad grew up in St. Mary's in Alton, and one day he was going on, oh, yeah, the Oblates are at the parish now, the Oblates are at the parish now. And I kept thinking, you know, east of the Mississippi River, I'm thinking the Oblates of Mary Immaculate, who are at the yeah. Shrine of Our Lady of the Snows, also Oblates of Mary, but not the same Oblates of Mary. <laughs> um, so I, let's start there. Who are the Oblates of Mary, the, the OMVs, and what are the charisms yeah. of the order? Yeah, well, you would not be the first, and you will not be the last to think that we are the Oblates of Mary Immaculate, uh, but we are Oblates of the Virgin Mary, and who we are is we are a congregation of, of priests and brothers. We were founded uh, in 1826 by this man, Bruno Lanteri, Father Bruno Lanteri, who's now venerable in the Church on his way to sanctification, and he founded the order uh, in the name of Mary to bring a rebirth of spirituality to the world. Uh, he grew up in a time uh, in the 18th, 19th century when uh, Europe was going into the French Revolution, uh, so it was a mess. And then even within the Church, there was this belief that uh, you could not overcome your sins, you could not overcome your faults. Even Father Lanteri, in his early days of the seminary, uh, even gave in to that temptation, that disbelief that God is not a merciful God. And so he discovered the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius from a Jesuit priest, Father Diesbach. And from there, he realized that every person, uh, no matter what your vocation is in life, how old or how holy you think you are, you can begin again. With God's help, with the mercy of Jesus Christ, you can begin again. Uh, And he founded this order to proclaim that message of begin again, and specifically uh, through the Ignatian exercises uh, to discover one's vocation in life, that when you discover your vocation, you're on the greatest path to holiness, you're on your path to sanctity. 
I think that's absolutely beautiful. And, you know, the first time I was corresponding with one of the priests from your order, I noticed at the end of his email signature was this quote from Venerable Bruno Lanteri, if I should fall, were it even a thousand times, I will not lose courage. I will not be troubled, but I will always say immediately with peace, now I begin. And yes, that's new yeah. Well, Father, that that's wonderful. So I, I love everything you've just said, but my next question is, how does the Blessed Mother tie into this? Because I think from everything you just spoke about, Venerable Bruno Linteri, um, that in and of itself is a good mission to go out there. How's Mary involved? Yeah, so Mary's involved because when Father Linteri was a young boy, around the age of four, his mother died. And after his mother's death, his father took him to church and took him in front of the statue of our Blessed Mother and said, she is your mother now. And from that moment on, he had a very deep connection to our Blessed Mother throughout his entire life. And I think what's very profound for us as, you know, always today is the spiritual sons of Father Lanteri is, you know, when you look at a lot of orders, you know, and you maybe some of the bigger religious orders like the Dominicans or the Franciscans, they had years with their founder, with St. Francis, with St. Dominic, the early Oblates who joined this new order with Father Lanteri had four years with him uh, before he passed away in 1830. And so the Blessed Mother is very much dear to our hearts in the sense that we really believe, you know, after the words of Father Lanteri, that Mary is the real foundress of our order. Uh, so she's not someone that we just pray to or look, you know as just any other person, but she's someone that we really are deeply uh, spiritual with uh, and really see as a key uh, saint, a key figure in our everyday life. Father, one of the things we ask in these uh, vocation spotlights is always about how our listeners could live out the charisms, you know, because you're a priest of the order, but most of our listeners are not a priest or brother of the order, but they can live out those charisms. And I have to tell you, I'm particularly encouraged because I myself, and I think many others I've met along the way have shared this with me, sometimes get discouraged when we go to the Sacrament of Reconciliation that, oh my goodness, I'm just bringing to the Lord the same sins I brought in the last time and the time before that and the time before that and so on and so forth, et cetera, et cetera. And am I ever going to be better at doing this? What What's the point of trying? I'm hopeless. And um, so I, I think today, especially this question, I'm excited about. How can the laity live out the charisms of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary? Yeah, just keep coming, you know. Uh, and recognize where that voice, where that thought points you to, you know, when you are struggling. Uh, and if it's something, you know, a sin or a fault that you've been struggling with forever, uh, just listening to that thought, listening to that voice, and where does that lead you to? You know, is it leading you to, you know, a deeper self-sorrow, uh, a deeper interior gaze on yourself and that you can't overcome this? Or is it pointing you to God? Any, anytime we focus and think of our sins uh, and give to the hopelessness, it's leading us further away from God. Uh, so just recognizing that voice, that thought, is it leading to me, leading me to God, or is it leading me farther away? And I think I really just go back to that very beginning and what you you focused on, too, is just that simple message of begin again. Uh, we're going to mess up every day. It doesn't matter if you're a husband, a father, mother, uh, working at a corporate job or some job that you don't like, or you're a priest, religious, 
we, we mess up every day. Uh, but we can either choose to give into that temptation to, to give up, or you can simply just recognize your faults and begin again and run towards the mercy of Christ. I love it. And I think I'm going to take those words. I love the Latin words, nunc chapi. Uh, I, I'm going to have to write those down on a note or get those somewhere on my desk, somewhere on my... I, I like to put these things on the bathroom mirror, so it's one of the first things I see in the morning. Um, there's an awful lot of spirituality that can happen while you're brushing your teeth. There, there's an awful lot. Father, I, I want to thank you for taking the time to be with us this morning. Could I ask you, uh, actually really quick before I ask you to close us out with a prayer, if some of our listeners are saying, wow, I, I'm interested in this and I think God might be calling me to the religious life, and I want to check out the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, where can they go for more information? Yeah, they can go to more information uh, at our website, omvusa.org. Uh, and we have a link to our vocations page with my name and our other vocation director right there. And then could I ask you to close us out with a prayer for our listeners today? Very much, yeah. Let us just pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for any day in which we can arise and praise you and worship you and experience your presence in our lives. We especially pray this day through the intercession of Venerable Lanteri to begin again, to not succumb to our faults or our actions that might lead us astray from you, but to just begin again and always call upon your mercy and the intercession of our Blessed Mother, knowing that she walks with us wherever her Son is. We ask this in the name of Christ, your Son. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father Paul Kalel, thank you so much for being with us on Roadmap to Heaven today. We are going to take a break. Don't go anywhere. A most commendable indulgenced prayer to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Most Sacred Heart of Jesus, shower copiously thy blessings on thy holy church on the Supreme Pontiff, and on all the clergy. Grant perseverance to the just, convert sinners, enlighten infidels, bless our parents, friends, and benefactors, assist the dying, liberate the souls of purgatory, and extend over all hearts the sweet empire of thy love. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, most kind, bless us now and in death's agony. From a sudden and unprovided death, deliver us, O Lord. We're talking with Father Jeffrey Kirby, and it's always good to have Father with us. And Father, this month we have a lot that we're going to celebrate, and we're kind of going out of order because, you know, sometimes we have to do that. I want to talk about the presentation of Mary, which is coming up later this month. It's a beautiful, beautiful feast that we celebrate on November 21st every year. And often, you know, I think of the presentation of Jesus because that's what? The fourth joyful mystery. You know, so we think of that. What is the presentation of Mary? Yes, yes. So first, as you were saying, this is one of those months here in November where we just have to step back and say, it is just awesome being Catholic. (laughs) We have so many great things to to celebrate. And I love when people dive into their faith and and allow the faith to be a part of their life because all these different feast days and and, and customs and things, it, it just helps us to appreciate all that. Uh, we have received from God through Jesus Christ. So when we speak about Our Lady's presentation, 
They're speaking of when 40 days after her birth, she was presented the temple by the law of Moses. So it, it, it's, a, it's a set liturgical feast day in, in, in the Old Covenant that we know that uh, as an observant Jew, our, our Lady and her family would have observed. So that stands of, of itself. Of course, surrounding that is, is a very rich liturgical tradition, a tradition we can say from sacred tradition itself uh, that surrounds various parts of Our Lady's presentation. So, for example, our tradition tells us that that is when she was consecrated a virgin, that later when the archangel appears to her and, and Gabriel says, you're going to conceive and bear a son, Our, our Lady's like, um, I don't know man. <laughs> I, I, mean, I think of the boldness of Our Lady. This is an archangel, and she says, basically, uh, back up, buddy. Right, because that that's not going to happen, right? Because she remembers this vow, and 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 our tradition tells us that she's hearkening back to this consecration where she was presented and was consecrated as a virgin. So I, I think it's a beautiful feast day for us to to understand all kinds of different aspects of of our Catholic faith. You know, you say that, and it makes me think of something I took note of in my early 20s, but when I first started getting into uh, really the, the beauty of the life of the church and not just going to Mass on Sundays, and I read in our diocesan newspaper the Archbishop's calendar of events for the coming week, and one of the things on the calendar was the consecration of a virgin. And, of course, the question was, well, what is that? And the following week, the newspaper in the diocese actually wrote an article about the woman who was consecrated as a virgin and what the ritual entails and why we have this in the life of the church. But since I don't remember that article word for word, and you're the priest in the conversation, Father, I wonder if you could give us an overview, because this is something still in the life of the church, the consecrated virgins. Yes, yes. In fact, if we look at the letters of St. Paul, we, we see indications of an order of virgins in the early church. So in the early church, we know that every vocation uh, was referred to as, as, as an order, you know, so obviously holy orders were, were the shepherds. Uh, we know that they were order of widows. Uh, there were, you know, order of penitents for those who had to do penance for grave sin. And there was an order of virgins. And, and those were young women who were captivated by the gospel, who had discerned with the bishop or his representatives in the early church and would agree not to marry and not to abstain uh, from sexual activity as a sacrifice to God and would serve the needs of the church. And, and that's very important for us to understand because a lot of our early martyrs were from the order of virgins because they were trying, you know, they were forced or tried to be forced into marriage and they would remain faithful to their vows. So in the early church, it was a very rich order. Now, what happened in the course of, of time was that the order of virgins and the order of widows actually merged. And that's religious life. That, that's where we get religious life from, uh, which, of course, is still within the life of the church. So someone says, well, you know, okay, I, I read about these in the early church, but what, what happened to them? Historically, they, they kind of merged, and, and, and the two orders kind of phased out. That's why we don't speak as well uh, as commonly about the order of widows or order of virgins. But in the reforms of the Second Vatican Council, the church said, we need to be a little more aware and open to the movement of the Holy Spirit. And let's see what else that the Holy Spirit's asking in terms of the life of the church. What, what else does the Holy Spirit want? And one of the things that the church discerned was we need to bring back the order of virgins. And, and Adam, I'll tell you, one of the reasons why I think the Holy Spirit did that was because we see so much abuse of sexual powers and so much licentiousness in terms of our, our sexual powers that I think the Holy Spirit raised back up the order of virgins to kind of hold us accountable and kind of challenge our society a little bit. So 
in many respects, we see the order of virgins restored. It, it's still young. Um, it, it's not, you know, overwhelmed with women who are ready to, to enter that order, uh, admittedly. But it's here in the life of the church. All these spirits brought it back. And there are women who are living this way of life in the midst of the church. You know, one of the questions that came up, and, and I've heard a fascinating answer to this. Well, if first off, if a woman is going to enter the order of consecrated virgins, why not just enter the religious life? Why not go join an order? And it's important to note that those are actually two distinct vocations. The, the vocation to live a life as a consecrated virgin uh, is definitely different than the vocation to enter the religious life, especially if you're talking about a cloistered convent of monastic prayer or a religious order that goes out into the world on an apostolic mission with their charism. But there's a gift that just being a secular person, a member of the lay faithful, consecrated a virgin you can bring to the world because you have that freedom to go, you know, who knows where God's going to call you, but you have that freedom to go there. That's right. Exactly. And, and you know, Adam, what's beautiful about the vocations in the life of the church is, as we know from spiritual theology, uh, grace builds on nature. And we look at people, we have extroverts, we have introverts, we have people who love being a community, people who prefer to you know, have a, 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 a more of a life of solitude. And you can imagine if you were to say to a woman who was an introvert, who maybe didn't flourish in the midst of an active community life, that if she wanted to serve God completely in a celibate state, she would have to become a religious sister. I mean, that would, that would be so difficult for her because that's not the personality or temperament God has given to her, right? Or you know, someone who doesn't feel called uh, to a particular charism of a religious founder. And, and all these different ways that we can see is that the reason why we have the Order of Virgin is there are some women who have a temperament, a personality, a professional skill where she does not feel called to be in a community life, has a personality that would not flourish in, in an active community life with all the, you know, set schedules and, and, and so on. That's a part of that. And has a professional skill that still calls her in the midst of the world because something you said, Adam, just emphasizes consecrated virgins live and work in the midst of the world. They, they answer to a spiritual director, so there is supervision by the church uh, that's appointed by the bishop, uh, that spiritual director, in order to give guidance and, 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 and counsel to the consecrated virgin. But the consecrated virgins I know, one's a social worker and one is active in education. So they tend to be in areas of education, health, or human services very much in the midst of the world and a very active presence to the world. They kind of challenge us, you know, as a Dawson priest or as married people, that, hey, we're supposed to be like that too in the midst of the world. We're supposed to be given the same witness. So, so the consecrated virgins among us are serving a very important witness, a very important role uh, in the church and society. Yeah, and as you say that, Father, I can't help but think it's not that it's a better or worse vocation than consecrated religious life. It's just a different vocation, and God calls people to different vocations. And the most important thing is that we're saying yes to the particular vocation he's calling us to. You know, it, it, it would not be good for me to say, well, I'm called to be a husband and a father, but I'm going to abandon that to go do missionary work on the other side of the world. And 
Beth, kids, good luck. Hope you hope you fare well. I'll be back who knows when. Um, we have our particular vocations. We have to live them. One last question for you here, Father, and, and I want to go back to something you said earlier about the Order of Virgins earlier in the church. We are talking all month long about the different feast days. You know, I, I, I've looked at our agenda of topics for this month, and we've seen before with a feast of this, uh, bishop and doctor of the church or priest and, and martyr or bishop and martyr, and every now and then we do see, you know, Saint so-and-so, virgin and martyr. When we see that in our liturgical calendar, are, are odds good that's exactly what we're talking about as someone who is a consecrated virgin in the life of the church? Yes, yes, especially with, with our early martyrs. Uh, now, there are some modern examples. For example, uh, I believe St. Faustina is identified as virgin and martyr. She, of course, was religious, was not a consecrated virgin. So some of our contemporary saints, our liturgy might identify them as virgin martyr, but they weren't a part of the order of virgins, but all of our early martyrs. So, you know, Cecilia, Agnes, all, all the holy ones from, from the early church, virgin and martyr, definitely indicates that they were in the order of virgins. Father, I think this has been a wonderful conversation for us, a good inspiration, again, just to live that vocation God is calling us to. And for all the young people discerning right now, could God be calling you to life as a, a consecrated virgin? Well, you know, that's maybe something to bring up with your spiritual director, or if you don't have a spiritual director, go have a conversation with your pastor or even the vocation director in your diocese and find out where you can get some guidance on that. In the meantime, Father, could I ask you to lead us in a prayer to close out our time together? Excellent. Yes, yes. Let, let us pray. Father, we thank you for the many vocations in which you nourish your church, in which you build up the body of Christ. We thank you for our own vocations. We ask you for the graces of fidelity and perseverance, and we seek always to do whatever you ask of us. We ask the grace to do that through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. We're going to take a break here on Roadmap to Heaven. Father Kirby, thank you so much for being with us. Stay tuned. A prayer to redeem lost time by St. Teresa of Avila. O oh my God, source of all mercy, I acknowledge your sovereign power. While recalling the wasted years that are past, I believe that you, Lord, can in an instant turn this loss to gain. Miserable as I am, yet I firmly believe that you can do all things. Please restore to me the time lost, giving me your grace, both now and in the future, that I may appear before you in wedding garments. Amen. We have come to the end of our Daily Dose of Encouragement this week, where we've been remembering our beloved dead. So, Patty, what do you have to wrap up the week for us today? Well, today I want to just make a suggestion that everyone um, look up the litany for the poor souls in purgatory. I found this on my Laudate app. Maybe you're wondering, what is this Laudate app? It's L-A-U-D-A-T-E, Laudate. I like to tell people how you spell it. But Laudate app, it's the app on my phone, and you can click on prayers and look up Litany for the Poor Souls in Purgatory. It's very, very long to read here on the air this morning, so I, I won't do that, but it really just prays for everyone, those who have died, those that you've known, those that have, have had cancer, those that have died in accidents, those who are going to die within the next 24 hours. It's just this beautiful, beautiful prayer for everyone that you can possibly think of for the poor souls in purgatory. And then finally for this week, I just want to recommend that sometime make it a point, whether it's this week, this weekend, sometime during the month of November, to visit a cemetery. Maybe just take a walk, a nice fall walk in a cemetery, and pay a visit 
it to your beloved dead and stand there at their gravesite and say a prayer for them. It's a beautiful, beautiful way to remember our beloved dead. So make sure that you do that as well this month. It's a wonderful tradition to visit the cemetery and to pray for the souls of our dearly departed at the side of their graves. And it can also be a great learning experience for our children or grandchildren to learn some of the family history and connect them in prayer as well. And Patty, that's a great reminder for us. So thank you for this beautiful week of the Daily Dose of Encouragement, Remembering Our Beloved Dead. Well, that's what we talked about today. We've had a wonderful time today. We're thankful to Father Paul and Father Kirby for being with us, as well as Dan Applebaum. Um, You know, speaking of being with us, every now and then I uh, get a little giddy. And in fact, it happens more often than not. I'm very grateful for those uh, wonderful guests we have joined us on the show. But Monday in particular, I'm getting a little giddy because we're going to be talking with Dr. Scott Hahn. Um, You may know him from the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology. You may know him from Franciscan University at Steubenville. You may know him from the many wonderful books he's written or the talks he's given or the list goes on and on and on. And in particular, and and we've had Scott Hahn with us on Roadmap to Heaven before, but in particular, I'm so excited for this. He's got a new book out on holiness. And going back to my first days here at Covenant Network, you know, my my first show, the pilot we did before we launched Roadmap to Heaven, was a show called Deeper, Growing in Holiness One Day at a Time. Because, you know, that and Roadmap to Heaven, at its core, we're, we're about growing in holiness each and every day. But how often do we actually define the term holiness? What does it mean to be holy? How do we become holy? We talk a lot about the how do we become holy, but what does holiness actually mean? That's something that I, you know, I just don't know that we talk about often enough. And Scott Hahn is going to be with us Monday to talk about what holiness is, where it comes from, and what our role in the whole equation is. So that's coming up Monday on the show. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Our Lady, Queen of all saints, pray for us. St. Joseph, terror of demons, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I want to thank you for being with us today. If uh, you've missed Roadmap to Heaven this week, you know, again, it's good to be back with you after being sick. But don't worry, you can always find us on the Roadmap to Heaven podcast. And you can go back and listen to some of your favorite episodes. If you've been missing the Daily Dose of Encouragement this week, be sure to check out the Daily Dose of Encouragement podcast to get caught up with that as well. Until next time for Covenant Network, I'm Adam Wright. Thank you so much for listening to Roadmap to Heaven. Pray your rosary today.